You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. I want to start off today, I'm actually kind of excited. We can just talk about whatever today. As much as, you know, again, grass is always greener, right? Been dying for training camp notes so that I can just delve into that. And then after nonstop <laughs> 53 talk, it's like, oh, give me a break. I don't want to take any more notes. That's how she goes. Um, but I want to start off today kind of talking about something that everybody else has talked about that I haven't. <laughs> but uh, it's all based on a YouTube video. I should probably, if I'm going to steal pretty much his entire content, I should go find out and tell you what it was. I wish I could just take a piece and kind of expand on it, but it's sort of an all-encompassing theory. And since I can't really corroborate it, I don't want to take it and run with it. More or less just kind of give you a theory that's out there that I think is uh, worth exploring. And I've, I've kind of touched on it a little bit, but I want to really just kind of hammer it, I guess. So the video is Alex Rollins' NFL, and it's Aaron Rodgers doesn't throw over the middle. Again, I've avoided this because I haven't felt the need to kind of dig into it, and I don't like generally saying things without being able to back it up myself. Also, I want to point out that I, I tried to look into this a little bit more. And first of all, th there's a chart that he uses from PFF. And I think he uses the wrong chart, which doesn't really help <laughs> make his case. So PFF has their um, annual quarterback thing. They just call it 2023 quarterback annual. So I don't, I wish there was a cooler name, but there isn't. That's what it's called. But it's extremely informative. It's, it's one of the biggest reasons why I really roll my eyes deep back into my skull when people try to uh, attack PFF, which I've had a ton of people do that, and never once has anybody come up with anything that's even slightly coherent, aside from like, here's one example of a thing that happened that I thought was dumb. Like, okay, you're an idiot. But when you look at the level of detail of every single thing that they gather, all the data points that they gather, and understand that these are the data points that are used to... um to sort of back up the grades that they they have, I, it's just people sitting in their freaking basement, just casually watching football, thinking that they can compete with this level of analysis simply because they want to sound like the smartest person in the room, while simultaneously making yourself sound like the dumbest person in the room is just hilarious to me. Anyways, we may delve into that a little bit more in the future because I'm just feeling. I haven't done sort of a pro PFF rant in a while, and that may be due. Anyways, so there's a couple different heat maps on here. I'm just going to put the caveats out of the way in terms of some of the issues with the video itself, and then we'll get into the fully-fledged theory because that's kind of the bigger point anyways. There's two heat maps here. The heat map that he chose to use for his video was a route heat map. 2022 Packers offense routes all players. The other heat map is a target heat map. And it shows to be a little bit different. Not a ton, but a little bit different. And the reason I make that distinction is a route heat map doesn't mean anything to me. It, the, the entire thesis behind this is that 
there are people open in the middle of the field that Rodgers is not throwing to. That's the whole point about the middle of the field thing. Otherwise, there's no point bringing it up. If you show me a route map in which there are less Packers receivers running routes in the middle of the field, that doesn't support the case that Rodgers is throwing less to the middle of the field. In fact, it does the opposite. This is a route heat map. It has nothing to do with Rodgers. So showing that the Packers run less routes to these parts of the field doesn't really support the case at all. What you should have used was a target heat map. Now there's two problems. Number one, even if you show the target heat map, having seen the route heat map, it kind of works against you because there's less options in those areas. Beyond that, the target heat map is less sort of damning as the route heat map is. Although, yes, the short middle part of the field and, and deep middle part of the field is, is blue. The deep middle is, is basically uncolored, which is... To, so the, the way the heat map work is, works is the darker the red, the more you do it than the average. So dark red, which for Rodgers was behind him and like screen passes, which he does talk about. So short passes at the line of scrimmage, Rodgers was well above average throwing those. He was below average, not necessarily middle of the field, but more in the intermediate part of the field. That's from all the way on the left side to all the way on the right side. And then on the deep part of the field, it wasn't really more or less in either area. It's pretty much uncolored, which is to say it's right at average. It's, it's just a faint hint of red on the boundaries, which is like, you know, we're talking 1-2% maybe above average, and then very, very faint blue in the middle, which is to say maybe 1-2% lower than average in the middle of the field. So again, I don't know. I mean, intermediate middle of the field, he clearly throws significantly less than the NFL average. But again, that's true of the left and right portions of the field as well. And deep middle, it's it's pretty much average, according to the PFF heat map. And again, the route the route thing is is actually quite similar. It's a little bit more in terms of deep middle. But again, that really doesn't have very much to do with Rodgers. It just means nobody ran routes in that area. Now, what routes are run, et cetera, et cetera, could have everything to do with Rodgers and his preferences and all that, I suppose. And it is a little bit more darker colored, like more bright red around the you know line of scrimmage, more dark blue in the uh, intermediate portion of the field, especially the middle, and a little bit darker red on the boundaries deep down the field. Anyways, that's, that's really the, the biggest caveat. Aside from that, though, I just want to talk about the theory behind it, because it, it honestly isn't even so much to do with the middle of the field thing. It's just sort of a bigger picture that can be illustrated using this middle of the field thing. All right. So again, the video, you can go watch it for yourself just to make sure that I'm not misrepresenting what's being said here. This is kind of film talk, which again is a little bit outside of my purview, but it's pretty much it's pretty simplistic stuff. Essentially, and, and, and this is something Packer fans have been saying for a long time. Why doesn't Rodgers throw to the middle of the field? Because that's where interceptions happen. Rodgers is entirely too cautious, doesn't like to throw middle of the field. And, and look, th th this part of the analysis is not necessarily the stuff that I like because it's mind reading. But it does make sense. And, and honestly, let, let me just expand on that for a minute. Because even that has sort of a anti-Rodgers connotation where it's all about his stats. It doesn't necessarily have to be all about his stats. If you were to ask me, let's just say, I want to play a game. And the game is, you get to pick three statistics about the game, not including the score. Which statistics would you use? Can't use touchdown percentage. Let's not be stupid about it. Which statistics would you choose to determine whether or not you won or lost the game? One of the top ones I would choose 
is turnover differential, right? It's no different than Aaron Rodgers wanting to throw deep down the field because he understands the importance of big plays, explosive plays. Now, again, I think that that's misguided because explosive play conversion is what actually matters, not explosive play attempts. But anyways, choosing to play in a way that minimizes turnovers obviously is going to help your team win more games, generally speaking. Now, there are negative consequences to that, but, but anyways, be that as it may. The other point here, though, is Rodgers like to control everything. He used the term control freak. Fair enough. And again, there is a reason for that. Aaron Rodgers, incredibly talented, you know, with his arm, usually had a good offensive line and really good wide receivers, guys that he could rely on like Devontae Adams. And so, and again, we've all said this, what he likes to do is pre-snap, predetermine what he's going to do with the ball. And a lot of times he could get away with that. He could, he could look at the defensive alignment, take a look at Devontae Adams, give him a little hand shimmy shimmy or whatever, which he probably doesn't even need to know because Devontae's already on the same page. And he's got all these choice routes. So he's basically, you know, he's, he's going to run pretty much wherever he wants and it's Rodgers is going to be ready for it and boom, there you go. But what he said that Rodgers really liked to do was either the short passes, the little screen passes, or go routes. And he said he really liked go routes because they're very rarely going to get intercepted. And we've seen this before with, you know, some of the throws, like even the one to Romeo Dobbs was like, well, that was underthrown. Or the touchdown, uh, I think the previous week to Romeo Dobbs, well, that was slightly underthrown. Could have been picked. Yes, but also 99% of the times it's not because as long as you throw it past the DB, he's not going to like turn around. Generally speaking, he's not going to turn around and make that play. He's running for his life. So you throw it past the ear hole of the defender, and as long as your receiver's on the same page, you're in good shape. But the, the larger problem, the, the, there's a couple larger problems. Number one is, that's not really how Matt LaFleur's scheme works. In fact, that's not how anybody's scheme works. That's just Rodgers trying to figure out the best way to attack a certain defensive alignment. Number two is that things change post-snap, and Rodgers can try to navigate that, and usually that manifests itself in Again, either I'm going to launch it to the guy down there or I'm going to throw it to this guy way over here and let him try to get some yards after the catch. But the bigger issue is, and it's funny, the, the NFL obviously has moved to massively, I don't want to say overusing, but the, the NFL loves to use cover two. And it's almost as if the NFL adopted cover two strictly for Aaron Rodgers. Like it is the anti-Aaron Rodgers defense. Because the, the way to beat cover two, the way a lot of teams beat cover two, is in the middle of the field. He talks specifically about a, a, a concept, you know, it's pretty well-known one, the levels concept, which is you've got a bunch of guys running pretty much the same route, just at different areas, you know, depths of the field. And so you just, it's, it's what we saw with Jordan Love. You read the defender, right? You're reading one, you're attacking one defender with two players, essentially. Right, that was the thing with Christian Watson. A lot of these plays that we've seen, if this linebacker comes up, you throw it behind him. If he drops back, you throw it in front of him, basically speaking. It's a post-snap thing, though. You look at the alignment, right? So there's, there's a pre-snap and a post-snap, essentially. Based on their alignment, based on their defense, I'm going to look at these two receivers. And then based on this one defender, whatever he does, I mean, it's a lose-lose situation. But the point is you're throwing middle of the field, and Rodgers didn't like to do that, theoretically. And so the, the, I think the issue with Aaron Rodgers is that he made things way harder than it needed to be. And I think we saw that. Again, think how frustrating it was where it just felt like everybody else 
it, it felt easy. Look at Brock Purdy. He's not a very good quarterback. Maybe that's a little unfair. Maybe he ends up, maybe he is just an absolute prodigy. He's the next Tom Brady. He was a, a seventh round pick that's going to shock the world. But it's funny, I looked at some of those heat maps, and I'm like, okay, so who is attacking the middle of the field? You know who did? Because there's a lot of blue in the middle, but somebody has to be red, because it's all proportionate to the rest of the NFL. So if, if some people are lower than, then some people must be higher than. Brock Purdy attacked the living crap out of the middle of the field with a high rate of success. I mean, that's what Kyle Shanahan did. He's going to take what the defense gives, and if you're going to play cover two, then we're going to attack the weaknesses of cover two. Rodgers didn't. Go routes do not attack weaknesses in cover two. It attacks the strength of a cover two. And that's why you had so many throws at the line of scrimmage. Because cover two isn't great for that, but throwing at the line of scrimmage generally isn't great for much of anything. You might be able to pick up five here or there or whatever, and we had moderate success with that. But I think the larger point here is that we get kind of hung up on who's better. And, and th- this was a call, I forget who made the call, but he was talking about music prodigies and whatnot. And I think I kind of maybe took his point to a little bit of a different place, but I'm going to do that again. And I kind of took that and I said, it, it reminds me of the difference between Joe Satriani and Ozzy Osbourne. Joe Satriani is an unbelievably good, I mean, I, don't, I mean, obviously you can make rankings of guitar players of, of lots of different, you know, you could have a very different top 10 list than the next guy. But Satriani is, is definitely considered to be one of the better guitar players. I don't enjoy his music very much though. Steve Vai, I do. Joe Satriani, I don't. But he's very good. And so it's sort of a waste of talent in a way, in my opinion, because he could have been much bigger than he was. And obviously, if you are an elite guitar player, drummer, singer, whatever, the odds of you being able to be successful as a musician are much higher. But it doesn't mean you have to be. And then Ozzy Osbourne, the example I use, it because I don't think he's a very good singer, but he makes some really good music. The band as a whole makes some good music. And so the point here is, we, we tend to look at things on an even playing field and say Jordan Love can't be Aaron Rodgers. Forget the 2022 thing, because that's a stupid argument to begin with, pretending Aaron Rodgers in 2022 was anything special, because he wasn't. It's still a faulty comparison on its face, because you're looking at it and you're saying, well, this is unfair to ever expect Jordan Love can be Aaron Rodgers, because Aaron Rodgers was a, you know, 20-year, or I want to make it too ridiculous, but let's say he is a trained chef and he spent five years in an actual kitchen. And Jordan Love is a home cook. So who's better? Who's going to win the cooking competition? Well, the trained chef, obviously. Well, okay, maybe. But I didn't say they were making the same dish, did I? All things are not necessarily equal. What is it that they need to execute? What if I told you that guy that spent five years in a kitchen has to cook a beef wellington and present it to Gordon Ramsay, and the home cook has to make mac and cheese and make a five-year-old happy? What, what then? It's an extreme example, but the point is, I think Jordan Love is going to have to execute a simpler thing. He's not going to be asked to do what Aaron Rodgers did, and good, because he'd never be able to do it. He can't be Aaron Rodgers. Almost nobody can be Aaron Rodgers. The NFL is set up to shut down the Aaron Rodgerses of the world. Even Aaron Rodgers is struggling to be Aaron Rodgers these days. Because th- everything's working against you. They built the NFL to shut you down specifically. Varying degrees of success, right? Sometimes freaking freak Aaron Rodgers comes out and and despite their best efforts, they still can't shut him down. But that's the point. We're not making Jordan Love do that. I'm not going to say, I need you to be the best quarterback we've seen in 10 years so that you can execute a scheme built to beat cover one when the entire NFL is playing cover two. 
Huh? <laughs> Say that again, please? And look, let me let me just give you this in that same uh, quarterback deal. Aaron Rodgers against single high was the second highest graded quarterback in the NFL last year. He had an 87.2 grade. I don't know who was number one, but that's remarkable. Against two high, he was the 21st ranked quarterback with a 59.7 PFF grade. You play single high against Aaron Rodgers to your own detriment. The problem is nobody really ever does. <laughs> yeah, Rodgers sees single high. And he's just going to launch it to the guy down the field, and there's going to be a lot of success. It doesn't matter if it's Alan freaking Lazard. He's going to kill you with that. But again, the problem is the NFL's not doing that. And so we saw a lot more of his 59.7 grade than we saw of his 87.2 grade, because teams are in too high all the time. He also was the 8th highest graded quarterback when there was no safety rotation, and 16th when there was safety rotation. Now, I didn't say he was worse, because you could say, well, everybody's worse. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying... As compared to the rest of the NFL, he was worse with safety rotation. Give him a single high look and stay a single high look and you're good. But he also struggled when things changed. Why is that? Because all his pre all, he made all his decisions prior to the snap. Post-snap when things change, there goes his plans. So anyways, again, that's something to keep in mind. It's also why, again, you can have guys like Brock Purdy and it's like, how is he so good? Because he's working with Kyle Shanahan in a Kyle Shanahan offense with the guys that he has around him. It makes it easier. We understand this concept. Quarterback-friendly system. We say it so often we should make it an acronym. QFS. So I don't want to get hung up in, can he be as good as Aaron Rodgers? Good at what? Good at what? Making adjustments at the line, making predetermined, uh, you know, as good at reading a defense and determining what to do. For No. As good at changing the play at the line to get guys exactly where you want them to be? No. Attacking single high? Probably not, no. But again, it's entirely possible that Aaron Rodgers made things harder on himself than Jordan Love will make on himself. It's also possible that um, Matt LaFleur made things harder on Aaron Rodgers than on Jordan Love because more is expected of Aaron Rodgers and he's more capable. I don't know these things. And I'm not even necessarily trying to make the case that they're true. I'm just saying we need to understand that we can't sit here and try to make arguments using equivalencies that don't exist, just assuming all things are equal, because they're not. And yeah, to some degree, quarterback talent just comes down to it. It doesn't matter how easy the system is if Jordan Love just sucks at quarterback. But that's not the point I'm trying to make. He's going to be good because I didn't say that. I'm just saying we have to be smart enough to recognize that all things are not equal. Aaron Rodgers played a certain kind of way, and Jordan Love's going to play a different kind of way. The offense under Matt LaFleur, when you have Aaron Rodgers at quarterback, is going to be different, partially because of what, what Matt LaFleur wants to do, and a large part because of what Aaron Rodgers wanted to do. We're already seeing it. We're already seeing the offense move, and it's moving in a way that we haven't really seen it move in a while. It's different. It just looks different. But you know what? It's still moving, and that's all that matters. I don't want to forget that what we need is a good team, not necessarily a good quarterback. And I don't want to get that taken out of context. We need a good quarterback to win in football. But I'm just saying, the goal is a good team, however it is you build that. Right? There's questions about, I've been talking about this recently, there was uh, Greg Jennings talking to Shady McCoy, and they got into an argument about Justin Fields versus Jalen Hurts. And somehow, Shady McCoy is getting lit up all over social media for saying that essentially Jalen Hurts is better than Justin Fields. 
I don't know how that's controversial. <laughs> it's unbelievable to me. Was it Jennings or Jennings? It might have been James Jones. I, I, I think I said Jennings. It might have been Jones. Yeah, it's James Jones. I had to go look at the video again. But the entire argument being made by James Jones, essentially, is that Jalen Hurts is really only good because of the people around him, and Justin Fields is only bad because of the people around him. First of all, a couple thoughts on that little argument. Number one, if that's the case, we're paying quarterbacks way too much money. I mean, do we believe that quarterbacks can rise above their talent around them? I'm not saying the team is necessarily going to be great, but if I can't even see the talent or lack of talent because of the pieces around them, if guys like Jalen Hurts can be basically not good football players, but be like, what, the second highest graded on PFF because of an offensive line and wide receivers, and Justin Fields can be an elite quarterback and, and he ends up being one of the worst in football because of the pieces around him, I have to wonder if we're paying too much money. I mean, I've been say, making these same arguments about running back. Part of the reason there's no value is because so much of their value is tied up in the people around them. The vast majority of their value is, is, is basically their offensive line and what they're able to do. That seems entirely true of the quarterback as well, apparently, according to these people. I don't necessarily think it's true. I know it's going to affect their talent level. I didn't say it, it'll be unmoved. But to say that I can't even give you a reference for their talent because I have no idea, because it's entirely determined by the pieces around them, then the quarterback has almost no value whatsoever. In other words, take any quarterback and they'll do exact and put Jalen Hurts, Justin Fields where Jalen Hurts is and Justin Fields will be even better or the same and put Jalen Hurts where Justin Fields is and it'll be the same. Then there's no inherent value because I can put anybody in those shoes and they'll do the same thing. I mean, legitimately, if you put Pat Mahomes in Chicago, do we all think he would actually be as bad as Justin Fields? There's no way in the freaking world. Would he have a, a lower PFF grade? Yeah, probably. Although I don't know that it's necessarily for sure that the offensive line is actually that bad. All the metrics pretty much everywhere said that the offensive line for the Bears really wasn't that bad. And we just saw Pat Mahomes lose all of his receiving weapons. He still has, has uh, his tight end, but he lost the best wide receiver in football and actually got better and won MVP and won a Super Bowl. So I feel like you add adversity and things would get better. Now you could talk about the coaching staff too, but you know, whatever. Again, I saw Joe Burrow play behind one of the worst offensive lines in history, and he was still one of the best young quarterbacks to ever come out of college. But anyways, as I said, there are ways you can help and hurt quarterbacks. Do I think, it, you, do I think we can manufacture Jordan Love if he's terrible into something elite by building around him? No, I don't. If I did, then I wouldn't have too many fears because we've already got a premier offensive line, and I'm quite sure we can cobble together some pretty solid receivers out of the group that we have. If all it took was the pieces around him, then I guess we got a Hall of Famer just waiting in the wings. But I do think that there's varying degrees of difficulty, and I think Jordan Love's difficulty level will be dropped, making it more likely that he will appear successful or be successful and appear talented. I don't mean that to sound negative, but that's, that's the point that I'm making here. You know, there is a question of, yes, Jalen Hurts looks good, but how good would he look somewhere else? I mean, even put him on the Bengals. He's got some weapons still, but he doesn't have that offensive line. Would he be Joe Burrow or would he be more, you know, like Mac Jones. Don't know. Anyways, again, I wanted to bring that that Justin Fields thing up anyways, because I, I think, and the, the point that I had made to somebody on Twitter is, it's one thing to say, this person was definitively very good. Look at Jalen Hurts. There's no question he was very good. And there's no question the pieces around him are good. And there is some question of how much of that talent is is shining through because of the pieces around him. It's another thing to make the case that Jalen Hurts isn't that good because of the pieces around him, and Justin Fields 
is better than he appears because of the pieces around him. We can only make definitive statements about what we know, not about what we're speculating. And everybody else wants to make definitive statements about their speculations. Bears fans and James Jones apparently want to do that. Justin Fields is great, we just haven't seen it yet. Okay, well then you can't say he's great, can you? Jalen Hurts is only great because of that team. You don't know that. We know that he's good, and we know the pieces around him are good, and we know it's possible that he wouldn't be very good if he was on a different team. But we don't know that definitively. Again, I would have told you that Pat Mahomes losing um, Tyreek Hill would to some degree, quote-unquote, expose him. Not that he isn't good, but just how much of him being good was actually having the guys around him, having Andy Reid, having Travis Kelsey, having Tyreek Hill. He lost one of the biggest pieces of that trio, and he got better. So we can assume all we want, but we don't know anything. So I'm making two... I'm completely shifting into something else here. It's just been annoying me to no end. Again, there's two things. There's what we know... And there's what, that, there's what we can speculate as a maybe. Justin Fields is maybe good stuck behind a terrible team. And he maybe will take a step. But those are maybes. What we do know is that he was dog crap last year. That's a point of fact. We have data to back that up. There's no data that says here's how good he is with an offensive line wide receiver adjusted scale. That doesn't exist. And partially because it's a person by person thing. There are some quarterbacks that need to have great offensive lines and weapons around them to appear good. There are some that don't. If Jalen Hurts is one of the ones that needs it, then yeah, he's going to fall off if everything around him falls apart. If he's not, then he doesn't. And he will continue to be a good quarterback because he's just a good quarterback despite the circumstances. And although the team around him will not be as good, they probably won't be going to the Super Bowls, you can still see a good quarterback when it's sitting there. Let me give you an example. 2018 Green Bay Packers were what? Hot garbage? Would that accurately reflect the team? Aaron Rodgers still had a 90 PFF grade in 2018. It still shined through despite all the problems that we had in 2018. Nothing was working. Everything sucked. It even appeared that Aaron Rodgers sucked. But I can still come here and see the context and say, oh, wait. Actually, according to this, according to the data, according to the people that watched the film, which, by the way, is what PFF is at its core, despite all the people that say, oh, use PFF, watch the tape. That's what they do, you moron. Sorry, is that condescending? I apologize. I shouldn't do that. I get a little worked up. I got dinged on uh, iTunes for being condescending. I apologize. By the way, if you want to leave me a five-star review, that'd be fantastic. Anyways, every time I get a bad review, I try to tell you guys to go out to cancel it a little bit. <laughs> You make up for that, please. I made a mistake and I need you guys to fix it. But you get what I'm saying, right? You can still evaluate an individual's talent in the midst of a team's talent and come away with the individual pieces. The team can be bad while individuals are still performing at a high level. That's the benefit of things like PFF is they take things into context. Just like an offensive lineman, that while well, he gave up a sack, why didn't he get docked for that? Well, because it's been seven seconds, that's why. It's context. Contrast that with 2022, where Rodgers didn't look as good, especially when you look at it on a week-by-week basis, as opposed to his overall grade. Seven games is all we got out of Aaron Rodgers. Three of them were just, you know, or four of them were just good, just, you know, low 70s. His 77 grade was propped up by three games in the 80s, including the Buffalo game, where he had basically a 90 grade. But more than half the season was 60s and below. Most of the season, we saw a whole lot of just, eh, eh. Not great. 
The worst of which, of course, was Week 18 against Detroit, because freaking, of course. But that's the point. If it's there, we'd be able to see it. There would be some metrics somewhere that you could point to. There's nothing. And then with Jalen Hurts, it's real simple for me. How does he perform when things aren't going well? Right? Because even with Aaron Rodgers, interestingly enough, if you look at his grade when he's blitzed, he actually grades out quite well. Why do you think that is? Think about it for a minute. It's one of those uh, tricky sort of economics things where, you know, people twist statistics to make it look a certain way. But you got to ask the right questions. He looks good when he's blitzed. Why? Because you're asking the wrong question. The question is, how, look, how good does he look under pressure? The reason he ranks really high when he's blitzed as a rank compared to the rest of the NFL is because his offensive line doesn't allow pressures when blitzed high at a higher rate than the rest of the NFL. So he actually has a clean pocket more often than most quarterbacks when blitzed. So it's an unfair advantage, but you're asking the wrong question. When pressured is the right question. So uh, Jalen Hurts was the had the fourth highest passing grade in the NFL. Very simply, how did he do under pressure? That's my question. He was 22nd. A lot of other questions you could ask. I'm not going to spend all this time talking about Jalen Hurts. I'm just demonstrating a point. Again, we can make assumptions, but we got to start making educated assumptions too. This might be some kind of an educated assumption. Maybe it's true that Jalen Hurts would, would be hurt disproportionately at quarterback compared to other quarterbacks. Because again, remember, every snap you take is just a mix of clean and unclean, right? You got two grades. Let's say you have a 90 and a 40. If you're clean every single snap, you have a 90 PFF grade, congratulations. If you are pressured every snap, you have a 40 PFF grade, congratulations. So your grade is really just a mix of what is your clean grade, what is your pressure grade, and then what percentage did you have each? Jalen Hurts was very unpressured because of that offensive line, which contributed to him having such a good grade. So in his specific case, I think there's some merit to the fact that he may be disproportionately helped by his offensive line. Meaning, all things being equal, he would drop more than most. But you still have to factor in that he had the third highest PFF grade in a clean pocket. That's also all things being equal. So if you equalize it, he's still going to come out fairly well. Because let's say it's 50-50. Okay, he ranks 22nd in that 50%, but he ranks third in the other 50%. So I don't know what that's going to come out to, but he'd probably, honestly, probably still be about top 10. But then you could ask the same question about Justin Fields. How does he look under pressure? He ranks 36th. Well, that sucks. I mean, again, it doesn't matter. You could say, well, see, that, that, you know, so if he's pressured less, he's going to go up more. Well, yeah, probably. But the point is, all things being equal, again, let's just say everybody's pressured 50% of the time or 20%. Of, it doesn't matter. Pick one. When pressured, this guy's going to suck more than everybody else. I think the bigger issue is the fact that he ranked 27th in a clean pocket, just below Sam Darnold. So what's the upside here? I mean, if he, if he had a 74.5 PFF grade when not pressured, that was basically Aaron Rodgers' entire grade. So if he never saw pressure the entire year, he wouldn't still wouldn't have been a top 10 quarterback. There's no upside here. So again, just trying to be intelligent about it, the only way Justin Fields takes a leap is if Justin Fields takes a leap, not if they marginally fix the offensive line or go get him a wide receiver. That'll maybe help the team a little bit. But when you look at the context and specifically hone in on Justin Fields, the only way he improves is if he improves. There is no team you can put him on that makes him a top 10 quarterback because there's no team in which he has a 70, a, a, excuse me, a 100% uh, clean rate. 
But again, nobody's actually doing any of this. We just get people just saying nonsense. I mean, seriously, listen to this. Listen to how stupid this is. This is on speak, right? So you've got former football players. You've got three former football players and this lady that, I don't know, she's got an attitude. But just just listen to this and, and try to dissect, like, at what point do they use rational thought? There's nothing in life I hate more than a backhanded compliment. Just wop. No, no reason he can't be a poor man, Jalen Hurts. Compliment? That's the most disrespectful. Justin Fields, I'm disrespected for you. 100%. Don't let nobody call you a poor man, Jalen Hurts. Not when you know First of all, don't let anybody call you that. You don't have control over that. Somebody called you that, and there's nothing you can do about it. Yourself that physically, you have just as much talent, if not more individual talent, mm -hmm. than Jalen Hurts. Okay. Based on what? Based on what? What is this based on? You know physically you have more. Are you talking about running again? Are you freaking talking about running again? Good Lord. These guys are more obsessed with track than they are. They should just, they should go comment on track. Because all they care about is straight line speed. It's freaking unbelievable. You can't be a poor man's Dalen Hurts if you are already a better runner. Exactly. Exactly. How could you possibly be a poor man's Jalen Hurts if you're already a better runner? This is the most ignorant crap I've ever heard in my life. Who cares about his running? They do. They're so obsessed. Rushing quarterbacks are the most valuable quarterbacks according to anybody in the national media. Despite evidence to the contrary. They are never the most valuable outside of fantasy football. Hurts, now you have to prove yourself as a passer in a major way. Thank you. So what are you talking about? That's literally what makes him a poor man's Jalen Hurts. He's got mobility, but he can't throw. That's a poor man's Jalen Hurts. It's not even that to be honest. I mean, it's, a, it's honestly disrespectful to Jalen Hurts because it reduces him down to just some rushing mobile quarterback, which is not what he is. He, th he thrived as a passer. My daughter was knocking. Apologize. Very important, though. She wanted a sucker. So, so yeah, I mean, it's... it's uh, Again, there, there is a segment of the national media, which is probably 70% of them, that should just be outright ignored when talking about quarterbacks because they have convinced themselves that the most important thing a quarterback can do is run the ball, and secondary to that is passing the ball. I mean, just listen to the way that Acho talks here. You're already better than him. You already know that you are. Look at your rushing ability. That's what he said, essentially. And then he says, secondarily, yeah, you, but you've got to work on the passing. And he even acknowledged, like, massively you have to improve in this area. But he still goes on saying that you're better. So clearly they believe that rushing as a quarterback is the most important thing, which I don't know where that comes from. I don't know why anybody would think that. I don't know what data set they're looking at that would convince them that mobility as a quarterback is the most important attribute. It's almost as if they've never watched football in their entire lives. I don't know. I mean, it's cool, and it certainly can help, but we are living in entirely different universes if what we're talking about here is, you know, mobility over passing. And then his evidence, by the way, that Justin Fields, we know he can do it, is that he was better in high school, better in college, and was drafted higher. I mean, come on, man. Do I mean, can we talk about Zach Wilson? 
Should we talk about that? Who was better in college, Zach Wilson or uh, Jalen Hurts? In fact, I hate to break it to you, Zach Wilson was higher than Justin Fields. So was Mac Jones, if you're looking at their, their PFF grades. In fact, they go one, two, three. Ju- J- Zach Wilson is number one, Mac Jones number two, Justin Fields number three. They only played five games. What, what, what? Okay. He's still drafted higher. He's still graded higher. Does that mean he has to... I mean, where, where are you, Acho, backing up Zach Wilson with the same speech? You know you got the talent. We saw you do it in college. You're drafted number two overall. You got it in you. We know you can do it. Don't take the disrespect. Don't sit there, you know, you uh, not going to get that lecture, are we? You know why? Because it's stupid. And he knows it's stupid. But he's going to say it anyways. How about J.C. Horn? He was drafted before him, too. He was taking number eight overall. Anybody care to talk about him? Anybody even remember him? Anybody care anymore? Nobody cares. Again, Mac Jones. He wasn't necessarily drafted higher, but he was graded higher. We're going to get that pep talk? Come on, man, you can do it. We know you can do it. We saw it in college. No. Everybody just says Mac Jones and Zach Wilson are trash. How about Zayvon Collins? When was the last time you heard him? Probably four days after he was drafted by Arizona. Nobody gives a crap about Zayvon Collins anymore. Zayvon Collins was an elite college prospect. This stuff happens all the time. Anybody ever heard of Cleland Furl, who went number four overall? Where's his pep talk? Or Devin White? Or Daniel Jones taking number six? Does he get a pep talk? Who's taken ahead of Josh Allen? Come on, bud. You're better than Josh Allen. You were taken ahead of Josh Allen. Devin Bush at linebacker. He was taken uh, 10 overall. That's ahead of where Justin Fields went. Did he get a pep talk? Come on. We know you're going to be good. You have to be good. You were taken number 10 overall. Everybody in the first round's good. Except Jordan Love. Because screw that guy. He's bad. We know he's bad. Baker Mayfield was the number one pick in football, and not because he was bad in college, because he was amazing in college. Come on, Bake. We know you can do it, bud. Sam Darnold went number three right after him. Anybody give a crap about Sam Darnold? No. Nobody talks about his potential or the fact that he can grow. Nobody talks about the fact that he's played for garbage organizations like the New York Jets and the Carolina Panthers. Nobody cares. He's on the 49ers now. Anybody want to give a pep talk? He was the number three quarterback prospect, elite college player at USC. Now with the 49ers, anybody want to talk about how he's going to win the job and how he's more talented than Brock Purdy and he's going to do... Anybody? Nobody? Oh, okay, that's interesting. How about Josh Rosen? He went number 10. That's ahead of where Justin Fields was taken. Again, not because he was a bad college quarterback. Anybody think he's going to make a a, a big resurgence? Because, hey, people get better over time. It takes time to develop. Anybody want to want to give that song and dance? No, they gave up on him after one year. Everybody did, not just the NFL, but the media in general. There were a couple people, myself included, they were like, dude, he's got to be worth a second round flyer at least. But everybody was very happy to just move on. What about development? Anybody want to talk about the terrible team he was put with, the Arizona Cardinals? Use that as evidence that he's going to be great? No? Oh, that's weird. Should we, should we bring up Mitch Trubisky? Taken number two overall by the exact same freaking trash organization? When, when, when is he coming back? When, when is his big breakout year? Any thoughts on when that's coming? It's a stupid argument. And so while it's entirely reasonable to say there's evidence out there of quarterbacks taking jumps after two years, year three, year four, whatever, and that it can happen and that it is possible, It's entirely nonsensical to say that it is going to happen 
that it's even likely to happen because we saw him do it in the past. The vast majority of quarterbacks taken in the first round are not even good. So Justin Fields, no matter how good he was in college, like all first-round quarterbacks are, that's why they're taken in the first round, no matter how good they are, they're still more likely to fail than not. And then two years of data saying you're not good at throwing doesn't make it more likely, it makes it less likely. So yes, it's possible that he does what Josh Allen did. I'm not even going to bring up Jalen Hurts because Jalen Hurts was a very different path. The year before his breakout year, he was actually quite good. So yeah, you've got like one example in history compared to a lot of examples of just people who are bad staying bad, like every other example. It is possible. It's entirely impossible. Just like it was possible with Mitch Trubisky or Josh Rosen or anybody else that I listed. I mean, again, Lamar. Dude was terrible in his first year. I heard somebody complaining about that the other day. Like, dude, it, he didn't get any credit as a rookie because he sucked, like, real bad. He took a big, big leap in year two, though. It's been kind of intermittent ever since. He's dealing with a ton of injury issues on top of that. But he put it together, kind of, after a year and got paid. But, I mean, this is what I'm saying. Like, I'm, I'm not even positioning myself as an expert in any regard, in film, in data, in anything. I'm not going to say I'm, I'm not sitting here saying I'm, I'm an expert logician with a, a master's degree in, in mathematics and, and logic. And this is just freaking common sense stuff. We're arguing from emotion and not even trying to make any kind of sensible arguments. This is insane to me. Let's take a break. We're already running kind of late. There's two other things I wanted to touch on. We'll see how much we can get to, but let's take a break. We'll just pick this back up. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. 
Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. Then, I mean, and again, every time I, I praise somebody, they end up saying something that I think is stupid. But LaShawn McCoy is the only guy that, in my opinion, has made sense. And he, he's always got the panel against him. And, and here's the reason why. I, I'm, I'm dead serious about this. Here's what I think. I think there are certain things that are culturally unacceptable to say. Right? The media has a narrative. And for whatever reason, the narrative is, Justin Fields will be great. I don't think LaShawn McCoy gives a crap about what people think or what he's supposed to say or what is culturally appropriate or inappropriate to say. I don't think he cares. He's just going to say what he thinks is correct. And he seems to have more common sense than everybody else. And so, yeah, I mean, th this is, again, numerous times I have heard LaShawn McCoy, whenever I watch this show, he's the one guy that makes sense. Everybody else just sounds stupid. But I'm positive now that I say that LaShawn McCoy is going to go off on some tangent that's ridiculous. In fact, I'm positive there was at least once where I was like, you're out of your mind. But the point is, I appreciate the fact that he's the one that goes against the grain. I'm always going to side with that person. Because there's, there's, with all these shows, they all come together and they all have similar opinions. Very rarely, I mean, aside from the shows where the whole point is to pick different sides and have some fake debate. But usually these are like the feel-good kind of shows or whatever. And um, I like that he's just not playing along. So immediately he kicks it over and he's like, go ahead, say what you got to say. Like just immediately angry knowing that he's, and you can look at James Jones's face right now. He looks like he wants to go over and punch him. I want to hear what you guys I, say. No, I this. agree with you guys. I have a problem with it also. Okay. Good, you should. I got a problem with why are they even saying his name with Jalen Hurts? Why are you putting him in the same category? Thank you. you this isn't debatable. They don't belong in the same category. Name one way in which they're similar aside from skin color. What do they have in common? Jalen Hurts doesn't run like Justin Fields. He's not mobile like Justin Fields is. They're not similar. They're entirely different quarterbacks. Justin Fields is a better athlete than Jalen Hurts is. His game is more defined. He's more of a Lamar Jackson. Jalen Hurts is probably closer to like a Josh Allen than anything else. They're nothing alike. Again, skin color is the only thing that they have in common, and so they're being pitted against each other or, or put in, in the same conversation. And that's stupid. They're nothing alike. Jalen Hurts is athletic to a degree and a really solid passer. Justin Fields is an elite athlete and a garbage passer. So LaShawn McCoy is right, not, not just in terms of saying they don't belong in the same conversation, because that's true. Just, just on their merits alone, one went to a Super Bowl, on, uh, partially on the back of him being a fantastic player. The other got the number one pick on the back of the quarterback being one of the worst in the entire NFL. Why are they being mentioned in the same breath? Why? What, what on earth could they possibly have in common? I mean, th they almost have nothing in common. They didn't play quarterback at the same schools. They weren't even drafted in the same year or the same round. They don't play for the same teams. They don't even play for similar teams. They don't play in the same way. They don't run in the same way. They don't throw in the same way. They don't think in the same way. They don't have the same level of production. There is nothing about Jalen Hurts that is similar to Justin Fields, other than they are semi-similar in terms of their, you know, rushing. But again, even that is not the same. You can't compare these guys. Seriously, though, and another issue I have with you, because yeah. I know you made up this block. Why do you have it third and long? Do you know his numbers against third and long? Anyway, that's another story. Anyway, this is my thing with the comparisons. First of all, if you're saying a poor man's Jalen Hurts, I kind of could agree with it if 
we're talking like, okay, Jalen Hurst was second team on pro last year. Yep. Uh, Fields would be like honorable mention pro bowler, something like, something like that. Because they're not in the same ballpark. Right. I think Jalen Hurts has the ability to take his team to the Super Bowl. Sure. He's- because he did. So that's a fair assessment. The Super Bowl. He does, absolutely. Right? You're talking about a guy that almost a really won good team. He almost won the MVP. Jalen Hurts or Justin Fields, he hasn't throw 300 yards in a game. This is what we're talking about. So I don't want to be super critical of, of, of Fields. I, can't I don't want to disrespect him. I'm just telling you that when we compare guys like Jalen Hurts, who was second into the MVP voting. Think about that for a second, though, right? You love MVPs. Your, your guy, Rob, has a lot of them. My guy was second, and he almost won if he didn't hurt. So compared to a quarterback that hasn't even thrown him for 300 yards yet? Okay, okay, let, let's, okay, no more stat. Again, duh, freaking duh. And again, if, if this is all it takes to be actually assessing people, then why don't we just do the same thing with different people who have different similarities. Why don't we do, I don't know, something like Jordan Love and Jalen Hurt, uh, Justin Herbert. Now, granted, they don't share the same skin color, which might be a disqualifier, but if we look at actual play style, again, they both have mobility. Not Justin Fields' mobility, but they both have a, a decent level of mobility. They're both largely arm talents. They both have fairly big arms. Can we do that? Can we compare the two and just say, Jordan, I know you can be Justin Herbert? If that is disqualifying, then fine. Let's just, you know, let's just use Jalen Hurts then. Can we, can we just do that? Or again, how about Sam Darnold and Josh Allen? Can we just say that we know Sam Darnold in a better envi- environment would be Josh Allen? He was drafted before him. He's got more talent than Josh Allen does. He doesn't have as big of an arm necessarily or whatever, but he's, he's got a better mind and, he, you know, he's, he's better at reading defense, all that stuff, right? He's hyper-intelligent and all that. Can we just say that? Just make up that assertion. It's it's offensive to say Sam Darnold is a poor man's Josh Allen, which, by the way, nobody would ever say that, not just because they don't play similar styles, but because there's no reason for anybody to say that. It's, it's, it's a nonsensical statement. Josh Allen is a premier quarterback, and Sam Darnold is bad at football. Why would you say Josh Allen or Sam Darnold is a poor man's Josh Allen? Nobody would. It doesn't even make sense. It's the same thing for Fields and Jalen Hurts. It's stupid. Just like LaShawn said, how about you accomplish something first before we start talking about poor man's anything? I mean, if we were going to honestly say that, we could just say something like Tua is a poor man's Jalen Hurts, although they're, you know, basically on the same level. Or how about Dak Prescott is a poor man's Jalen Hurts? Something that makes some semblance of sense. But the fact that LaShawn McCoy is getting absolutely shredded, not just on this show because it's 3-1, to one, and not just by Bears fans, all of social media is dunking on LaShawn McCoy because he got burned by James Jones. Bro, he got torched. He got lectured. He got shown what's up. No, he didn't. And so here, here's James Jones. After saying things that just make... I mean, common sense doesn't even say it. This is documented fact. There's nothing he said that's even controversial. Here is a very, very upset panel with James Jones leading the charge. Oh, this is disrespectful. This is disrespectful to Justin Fields, right? Okay. Number one, we talk about arm talent. His arm talent is better than Jalen Hurts, right? Is it? In what way? Like we saw it in college? We talking highlight throws? Like Bears fans like to throw up the highlight throws? Show, show me, demonstrate it to me. What are you talking about? And this, by the way, is exactly why I don't like a lot of the quote-unquote watch-the-tape arguments. 
it's not because it, you could even convince me that it's better than than statistics if you want. But that's only assuming the person that's watching the tape is a perfect evaluator, number one, and is perfectly unbiased, number two. Because when I go and look at data, I know that it is 100% unbiased. Now, people can twist data, but that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying I've got two data sets here. I've got somebody that, quote unquote, watched the tape, and then I have a, 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 a raw number here. 5% big-time throw percentage. As long as I understand what big-time throw percentage means, and I understand what the data is telling me, I know that that is 100% accurate and 100% unbiased. And I know for a fact that film evaluators are not 100% accurate, and they are not 100% unbiased. And so I'm listening to James Jones, and the argument is he's watching tape even though he's not even saying that. What are you, what are you talking about? Give me anything that says he has a better arm. Well, I've seen the throws. So have I. And I've seen Sam Darnold's throws, and I've seen Zach Wilson's throws. What does that have anything to do with your abilities in the NFL as a quarterback? Nothing. And I don't even think he's talking about that. He's talking about the highlights. And it, believe me, every Packer fan on social media has seen the highlights because Bears fans can't stop posting them. Every second of every day. Here, let, let, me, let me tell you about roughly how many highlights there have been. Justin Fields, through big-time throws, we'll just call those highlights, 3.8% of the time, a grand total of 13 big-time throws. That's 13 passes. Most of the highlights that get shown on social media, it's not even 13. It might be two or three. There's 13 of them out there. And probably more than that. I mean, there's going to be some throws that are probably relatively impressive that don't count as big-time throws if you want. But 13 passes, that's great. But as you can see, it's 3.8% of his passes. I'm, I'm not too good at numbers, but I'm pretty sure 3.8% is less than half. That's the point. What about the rest? By the way, he ranks 25th in big-time throws. Do they exist? Yes. Can you find highlights? Yes. Can you point to some great throws? Sure. I don't know how you can definitively say he has a better arm than Jalen Hurts, maybe because of what he did in college, but that, that, that's somewhat beside the point. Here, here let, me, let me make another case to you. I think Jordan Love has more arm talent than Justin Fields does. I don't know that he's going to be a better quarterback. He could be a terrible quarterback just because he can make those quote-unquote Pat Mahomes throws, and he can. I don't care what anybody's going to piss and moan about that. The point is, it doesn't matter if you can do those things. What matters is the consistency aspect of it. If you make those throws 2% of the time and the other 98% you suck at football, I don't care. By the way, Jalen Hurts had 26 big-time throws. 4.5% of his throws. He ranked 11th. Here's another number. Turnover-worthy play percentage. Justin Fields was 4.4%, which tied for third. Does he have a great arm in terms of how deep he can throw it? Does he have a great arm in terms of how accurate he can be sometimes? Yes. Like every NFL quarterback in existence, he has a great arm insofar as his ability to throw passes, even far down the field sometimes, accurately. But he also has one of the worst passers in terms of uh, turnover-worthy play percentage. In fact, the only quarterbacks that were worse than him, or even tied with him, or even kind of close to that, are not even quarterbacks right now. Taylor Heineke was the worst. He is now a backup in Atlanta. Zach Wilson was the second worst. He is a backup for the Jets. He is tied with Cooper Rush, who is, I believe, still a backup in Dallas. After that is Matt Ryan, who is not in the NFL. After that is Carson Wentz, who is also not a starter right now. If you look at his passing grade, he's 36th. Adjusted completion percentage, he's 29th. I've done this 100 times. What are you talking about? What do you mean when you say that? 
I mean, I've watched the tape and I've seen some special stuff. No kidding, dum-dum. This is why I use PFF. Because it's not about what you can do, it's about what you can do in comparison to everybody else. That's what ultimately matters, because again, you don't play football in a vacuum. You don't play football by yourself. It's not you against air. It's you against defenses compared to everybody else against defenses. It's what Justin Fields can do in comparison to every other quarterback. And in comparison to every other quarterback, his arm talent sucks. Right. With his the, arm talent is better than Jalen Hurts. Wait, wait, wait. wait, wait he's wait, faster, wait, more explosive. Yep. His running ability is... Yes, yes. Nobody argues with the running ability. Nobody gives a crap, aside from everybody in the media for some reason. He does not have A.J. Brown. He, he won't let LaShawn McCoy interject, by the way. He knows exactly where LaShawn's going to go. He wanted to interject and say, what are you talking about? So he starts yelling over him and immediately runs into his rushing ability. Because he knows that, like, okay, well, you can't interject with that. And then he tries to just keep moving because he knows what shit he's about to say. He does not have Devontae Smith. He does not. See, and now LaShawn gave up because he just keeps yelling over him because he knows exactly what's going to happen. Have Dallas Goddard. He does not have that offensive line in front of him. He did three. not have uh, Miles Sanders last year. You didn't. Right? If you didn't. I was to tell you. By the way, and I've said this before. And again, a lot of this, it's not even just just a Justin Fields thing. That's just where it's the most egregious. I'm just trying to, again, think how to think. That's it. Just trying to think through how we should think. You cannot assert a positive from a negative. You cannot say something was bad, but would have been good in other circumstances. You don't know that. All you know is bad. So... Let's just take the premise that nobody could have could have looked good in Chicago, which I don't believe and nobody can prove, right? That's an assertion. That's not a fact. Let's just assume it's correct, though. We take all of these quarterbacks right here. Daniel Jones, Justin Herbert, Matt Ryan, Pat Mahomes. Let's just do like the top 10. Daniel Jones, Justin Herbert, Matt Ryan, Pat Mahomes, Jared Goff, Geno Smith, Brock Purdy, Jalen Hurts, Joe Burrow, Kyler Murray. Okay, this random 10 based on something that I had sorted earlier. Now, those are mostly good quarterbacks, but let's just say they all failed, and we don't know anything about them other than their names. If they go out and leave and go to other teams, are they all going to be great? Do we know that they're going to be great just because, well, they had a bad situation before, and now they're going to a better situation, therefore they're going to be great? He started with the assertion that we know he's good and didn't back it up. Said he has great arm talent and wouldn't let LaShawn interject. Better than Jalen Hurts, by the way. Which, again, even if you can prove it, it doesn't mean anything. Because being a quarterback is more than just wow throws. It's why Brock Purdy is thriving. He was a seventh-round pick, not because he was a college prodigy. All you can do is say what we know is that he's been awful. And he actually got worse in his second year, despite the claims to the contrary, which of course are because he started rushing better. And because there were three games where he actually looked good as a quarterback. He ran for more yards. As a passer, he went backwards. We have two years of data that says he's a bad quarterback, and the best we can do is say that maybe in a better environment he'd be better, but we don't know that. And James Jones is going to sit here and say that it's disrespectful to a quarterback that's proved nothing and has been terrible for two years. It's disrespectful to him to not say that he's a slightly lesser version than a guy who went to the freaking Super Bowl. This is the most ignorant crap I've ever heard, ever. I don't care if James Jones is a Packers legend. This is stupid. This is, by the way, the same guy that said the Packers were going to win every single game pretty much every year that he predicted games that Aaron Rodgers is in it because he doesn't really care about being serious, apparently, which is evident in this little clip here. Even though he's clearly trying to be more serious here, this is stupid.
you, these are the number of, a, of an MVP quarterback. 22 touchdowns, right? 3,700 3, yards. He in the MVP conversation. Y'all would be like, what? Who? Who? You know, you, you understand what I'm saying? Justin Fields threw 17 touchdowns. Who was he throwing to, Shady? I don't know. Wait, does... Does no, Russia, no, no. I'm just saying. But you said because you're misleading. You're misleading America. Because through 22. You're misleading America. What do you see? They say anything about the the rushing yards? Is that on account? You just said how many guys. Oh, so let me. Anyways, so then I don't know why Shady brings that up, but but anyways, yeah. So so he does add rushing yards. Jalen Hurts was in the MVP conversation, not just because of the touchdowns. Which, by the way, it wasn't 22. It was 25 passing touchdowns, and he only threw six interceptions. But it's beyond. It's it's all the throws in between, which are summarized in his 84 PFF grade, which is one of the highest in all of football. And then you add on top of that, he also was a good rusher. He added additional damage with his feet. That's not his primary way of attacking teams. It's a secondary way, but it also matters. 901 rushing yards and and 18 touchdowns. My God, is that serious? 18 additional touchdowns? That's crazy. That's why he's in the MVP conversation. He went to the freaking Super Bowl, was one of the best passers in football, and then added on as a rusher. Now, again, you could say the same thing about his rushing ability as his passing ability. Well, he wouldn't be able to do that without the offensive line that he has, without the weapons and all the attention that they draw. And I think that's true. Jalen Hurts ran a 4-6. Justin Fields runs basically a 4-4. They're not the same in terms of athleticism. They might not even be the same. Again, Justin Fields is probably more athletic and maybe even has a more talented arm. But Jalen Hurts has learned to be a quarterback, to take the offense and move it successfully down the field. If all we're going to do is pick trash... I mean, why, again, do it to Zach Wilson. My goodness, as a rookie, he played with the Jets. That was before Garrett got there. By the way, what happened to Zach Wilson after Garrett Wilson got there? Oh, he went backwards as a passer. That's weird, isn't it? Aren't you supposed to get better when your environment improves around you? The receiving grade via PFF went from a 64, uh, 65, I think, to like a 71 overall. But they went massively backwards in the passing category. That's weird. I thought it should have gotten better. But nobody seems surprised. Nobody seems to care. Nobody seems to want to even talk about it. Nobody even said when they got Garrett Wilson he was going to improve. Everybody just said this guy's trash. It's weird to me. Let's just stop saying stupid stuff. And I'll just end with this, because I, I don't want to spend a lot of time on it anyways, and with the, you know, time being as late as it is, I, I, I don't have that much to say, at least I don't think. We'll find out. Yesterday I went out and did, this have been two days ago for you, but whatever. Um, I, I did what I always do. Whenever grades come out, I just pop it on social media, just to let everybody know. Here are the guys that did well, here's the guys that didn't do well, here's some kind of context, like he ranks here, da-da-da-da-da. Just throwing it out there. Takes a lot of work, decent amount of time. If you don't really care for PFF, fine, ignore it. What I don't like, though, is I, I, I'm quite positive most people that don't like PFF don't like them for very disingenuous reasons. I'll give you some examples. Almost every single negative note that I saw about PFF only came on the negative posts. Here are the guys that did the worst. And, and the funny thing is, and I've been getting crucified on this, I'll do a series of posts. People don't realize I did a ton of posts, and they'll see it as just being negative, right? So the other day I went through and I did every single position and I came up with a poll for it. Some of them were easier than others. For quarterback, I just said, 
you know, what are the, what are the percentage odds or whatever that that uh, Sean Clifford takes over for Jordan Love? Partially because I'm genuinely curious how big the, of the fan base it is. Some people just saw that tweet, assumed that I was doing it for nefarious reasons because I wanted to stir up controversy that that shouldn't be there, and went on a little pouting fest all over Twitter. Disgusting tweet, whatever. You guys are going to make me delete my account. Take a freaking breath, loser. Get over yourself, and if you don't like it, move on. You don't know what I'm saying or why I'm saying it, so don't freaking interject yourself. And maybe I should just understand that that's what social media is. It's where people decide that they're going to lecture you on things that they know nothing about, and then you're expected to not react to that. That's how social media works. You say something, somebody comes in and lectures you, and then if you respond, then you're sensitive or you're overreacting or all whatever. But that kind of happened with PFF, and it only came on the negative ones. Isn't that interesting? You know what else I've noticed? Bad teams, fan bases, dislike PFF more than good teams' fan bases. I wonder why. It's because PFF reflects the team, and then the fan base doesn't like it. Bears fans hate PFF because PFF has nothing good to say about the Bears. Probably because the team sucks. Why would you expect PFF to have good things to say about a team that had the number one pick? But of course, that's too much rational thinking. I really have not heard too many rational opinions of PFF. But here's the thing. Again, first of all, you don't have to tell me anything. If you don't like them, fine. Just ignore it. You can turn off the program when I talk about PFF. You can ignore the tweets when I tweet about PFF. You can do whatever you want to do. But if you're going to actually want to engage and argue with me, here's what I need from you in order to take you seriously. You need to, number one, demonstrate that you understand what PFF is and how it operates. Because in order for you to disagree with their process, you have to know what their process is. And nobody seems to know what it is. I don't even fully know what it is. But you at least have to be able to dissect it to say, here's what they do and here's why I don't think it's effective. Most of the time, people just say PFF's a joke and everybody knows it, which is such a stupid, childish thing to say, because it, it's basically just saying, I'm going to try to make you feel stupid, do nothing to back it up, and then I'm going to just going to pretend that everybody has my back, so that it's me and a team just, just telling you by default, by majority opinion, that you're wrong, even though I haven't even proved there's a majority opinion. It's, it's just, it's childish nonsense. It's, it's angry flailing, is all it is. Again, understand what they do and why, what process would make it better. I've actually done this. Do you remember last year when I tried to do grades and I tried to make it more fan-friendly grades? Because I, I realized that what PFF does a lot of times is it's more about consistency than it is high-end. That's the, the nature of a two-point system. Because you can erase the greatest play you've ever seen in your life can only get two points. And you can erase that with... You know, somewhere between two and four bad plays. Two moderately bad plays, you know, that's two negative ones, or even very minor bad grade. It only takes four semi, like, really marginally negative plays to erase that play. And I think fans generally don't like that. You know how I know? Because most of the time when I see negatives about PFF, it's, how could you say that? He, he, he had that, 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 did you not see that touchdown reception? The guy played 55 snaps. He had one positive play. That's a positive two at best. And it's a positive four at best if there's two of them, two of the greatest plays you've ever seen. It can easily be erased. And again, if that's the issue you have, you can, there's merit to it. But what I would suggest you do is to try to do it yourself because what you'll understand is if you try to build a different system as I did, that is a much higher grading scale. You can make it out of 10 or something. So that, you know, the greatest play you've ever seen will almost assuredly not get wiped out unless, you know, most of the plays after that are just horrific. 
In fact, to make it fan-friendly, you'd have to make it almost a 50-point scale because you'd have to make sure that it, it can't be erased. One good play is all it takes. But, but again, you'll, you'll understand that it's a stupid system meant to appease fans that don't actually want the truth. They just want confirmation of what they saw. I saw three dominant plays. Don't you dare tell me that they were bad. In fact, if you really want to build a fan-friendly system, just make a system that's only positives. Because then the team will only ever be positive, and unless, you know, the fan base hates a player, then they're only negative. The point I'm making is that fans don't actually want the truth. Many of them. They just want to be told back what they already believe. Which is kind of silly. People that I think embrace things like PFF, and, or, or Football Outsiders, or any of these other metrics, they do so because they understand, I don't know... But I know that there's data out there. Let me go find out without any preconceived notions. That's why when I give a, an evaluation of the game after the game, I always say, here's what I noticed. But I don't know. I only caught a couple of the plays. I don't know what happened on all the other plays. We'll see what PFF had to say because they watched every single play. And I did not. And if I find, for example, Wooden would be an example, they gave him a bad grade. Now, maybe I would disagree if I went back and watched it. I know Andy Herman did. He had like his top five players and Wooden was one of them. PFF said he had a pretty bad day. Depends on how you grade. But I think the larger point is, whatever the disagreements are, they're very marginal. And for whatever it is that they do that you don't like, I'm sure there have been dozens of meetings at PFF about why they grade the way that they do. And you only come to these problems when you actually try to engage in it. I've done that every single time when I try to build, for example, a criteria of who is the best drafting GM, or how would I... Uh, decide who the best, you know, quarterback is in football. And you go through and you try to build metrics, and, and it's just constantly running into problems and saying, well, if we go about it this way, this is the problem we're going to keep running into. So you tweak it and you refine it and you tweak it and you refine it. And that's what PFF has gone through, I'm sure, dozens of times, as has every other, you know, again, football outsiders and everything else. You find problems with your model and you tweak it. And there are perfectly rational reasons for the system that they have, and I'm sure that they could tell you straight out, like, here are some of the drawbacks to the system we use. We overemphasize this, we underemphasize this, but we choose to do it because it's better than the alternatives. But again, these are nuanced conversations based on people who have really worked hard to try to come up with the best possible system that they can. And the best arguments that I've actually seen against PFF have come in, and, and I have no idea, um... Again, I, I, I tend to get very annoyed with people that want to just show up and lecture me about stuff. I've never had an issue with Rob Rieger, I think is his name, how you pronounce it. NFL draft regs. I always, I, I mean, I kind of forgot about him, but I, I knew he was out there and I always thought he seemed to do a good job. And I, I don't know, never really thought about it. But he steps in and says, using PFF as a data set is the equivalent of using Stevie Wonder to evaluate sunsets. I mean, come on. If you want to have an actual discussion about the merits of PFF compared to the drawbacks of PFF, that's fine. And in fact, I, I've, I've, I will never have an issue with anybody saying, here's why I don't like PFF's grades, because I think that they emphasize this too much or that too much or whatever. I'm like, okay, that's fine. I'm going to choose to use it regardless, because it's the best thing that we have that evaluates every single player on every single snap across the entire NFL. Because like I said, you're not just looking at players, you're looking at players and how they rank compared to every other player. You can tell me that um, Colby Wooden got a, a, a plus 3.2 grade. Okay. How does that stack up in the NFL? What does that mean in context, right? The only reason why I say a 10% pressure rate is a good pressure rate isn't because... I've just watched Packers players. That wouldn't mean anything. I would need to know 
general pressure rates across the NFL. That's the only way you can even look at things and say what's good and what's bad. In fact, that's true of everything. You can do... Oh, up, oh, up. Oh. I knew that was... Ah, that might have broke. It's that stupid lamp that I put over here. Um... So that I could blind myself while I try to do streams. That my wife explicitly asked me not to break or she's going to kill me. It didn't break. We're fine. I flailed my arms around when I, when I rant. But, you, I mean, you do that with yards. If you never got to see the 31 other teams, let's say in a Packer, as a Packer fan, you only saw your own team's stats. You got to see whether your team won. You don't get to watch the game. You just see whether they won and you see your own team's stats. How would you know if it was good or bad? Let's say you had a 10-win record and, and the, the receiver you had had 950 yards. And in team history, that's actually not too terrible. You've seen other guys with higher and a lot of guys with lower. Is that really good or not? You would have no way of knowing. Maybe some guys are out there. Maybe the, the, every other team has guys getting like two, 3,000 yards. How would you know? The data about our own guys is useless unless it's compared to everybody else out there. I'm not, I'm not knocking watching our own guys. I, I like to do it too, just because it kind of gives me my own feel of what these players look like. And I have my own opinions on, on more specifics. Like, you know, the, they'll tell me A.J. Dillon did this and here how he is compared to everybody else. Cool. But then when I watch A.J. Dillon, I can say, okay, here are the areas that, in my opinion, he really excels in the areas where I think he, he doesn't do very well. Specifically, not, not grades like overall, but, you know, things like vision. He doesn't have, there's no vision grade here. There's no power grade. If there was, I wouldn't have to watch anything anymore. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, don't tell me stupid crap. First of all, don't lecture me. That's just going to piss me off. I didn't ask you to come here and talk to me. I'm out here talking to people that want this information. There's a lot of people that like the information, right? 225 likes, okay? A lot of people liked it. If you don't like PFF, don't pay any attention to it. I don't need to be lectured. But it continues. So, so again, that wasn't even an argument. That was just kind of being a jerk for the sake of being a jerk. I, again, I, I mean, other Green Bay Packers creators, I don't generally like to introduce myself by interjecting myself into the comments and just giving them the middle finger. You know, like a, a brief, how do you do? Nice to meet you. I've noticed you from across the way. I like your work. You know, stuff like that is how I would prefer to do that. He wants to come in and start an argument for some reason. I don't understand that. But then there's this, and this is sort of another thing that gets used is, I noticed this one time there was this one grade that I found egregious and therefore they're stupid, right? thousands and thousands of data points and grades across hundreds of games over, you know, dozens of years. But there was this one time, I remember it was so bad, so the whole organization is a joke. Or more broad things, like he says, PFF thought Mac Jones and Pat Mahomes were the same two years ago. You mean two years ago when Pat Mahomes took a dip in his production and Mac Jones was actually pretty solid as a rookie? Is that what you mean? And by the way, the only reason that would seem ridiculous... The argument that that's ridiculous, you know what you could do to prove that? You could use PFF to prove that. Because PFF will show you that Pat Mahomes is one of the greatest quarterbacks that we've seen, at least in the PFF era. And it will also show you that Mac Jones is kind of a joke at quarterback. And it will show that that year was kind of a wild anomaly where Mac Jones had a good rookie year and Pat Mahomes kind of had a dip in his production. He also goes on to say PFF thinks Andy Dalton is a better quarterback than Aaron Rodgers. Again, just nitpicking data. And this is just what anti-PFF people like to do. They, they find these one little data points and they keep it in their back pocket. Okay, PFF does not think Andy Dalton is better than Aaron Rodgers. PFF gave Andy Dalton a higher PFF grade than Aaron Rodgers last year. You know what? So did every other organization that tracks these things and provides data. Football Outsiders had Andy Dalton ahead of 
Aaron Rodgers. PFF had Andy Dalton ahead of Aaron Rodgers. Sports Info Solutions had Andy Dalton ahead of Aaron Rodgers. You know why? Because he was a better quarterback last year statistically. Not cumulative yards because he didn't play as much. But if you actually look at the data, and here's the, here's the point. I don't know what Rob Rieger does with his free time, but I'm guessing it's not charting all Andy Dalton's passes. He has no idea what Andy Dalton did. Sounds like he doesn't have a very good idea what Aaron Rodgers did last year either. But you see what I'm saying about just not thinking? These are just broad emotional arguments. They think Dalton is better than Rodgers. They're a joke of an organization. And that will appeal to a lot of people, which is really sad. Because it really doesn't take much thought to dig into it. it. At the very least, question every premise. Just question things. Nobody wants to question things. We want to go best off our gut. Which I would expect better from an NFL draft analyst to question these things. Or to, to understand context and nuance and things of that nature. Ask a question. How good was Andy Dalton? We don't want to do that because we just assume Dalton's trash and Aaron Rodgers is elite. That's what, I'm not even going to say casual fans. I mean, it has nothing to do with being a fan. Rational human beings question things. I know what my preconceived notions about Andy Dalton and Aaron Rodgers are. I don't know how Andy Dalton performed on a pass-to-pass -pass basis in comparison to Aaron Rodgers. PFF tracked every single one of their passes based on a high level of, by the way, film study, which is what the grades are which is backed up by massive piles of data. The stuff that I pay money for is just a fraction of the data that they collect and use to backfill their, their, their conclusions. What have you done? If I say Andy Dalton was better than Rodgers last year and you have a visceral reaction, ask yourself why. Because you don't know the answer to that question. By the way, you would have said the same thing about Geno Smith if it wasn't such a massively public thing how good of a quarterback he was. If that was a little bit if he if he was a backup that came in a little bit and played to that level and didn't get a ton of media attention, everybody would have lost their mind because they didn't realize the guy actually played pretty well. But we don't know what Andy Dalton did, so we just assume we know Andy Dalton, we assume we know Aaron Rodgers, and we move on. And so people who are anti-PFF try to be the smartest person in the room while demonstrating again that they're not thinking clearly at all. Show me your work then. Again, every data point I have says Dalton was better than Aaron Rodgers, but you're saying that's not true. And, I, and we can get into the nuance. I'm sure there are plenty of data points where Rodgers is better than Dalton. There are certain things that you might, might think are more important, so we can dig into that in these areas who was better or those areas who was better. Right? There are ways to go about this, but nobody even wants to have that conversation. But fine, show me your homework. Show me what you did. Show me how, what you charted and how you came to your conclusions that... On a play-to-play -play basis, Andy Dalton was worse than Aaron Rodgers. Show me that. If you can't show me that, then don't frickin' show up here and start trashing on PFF. And, and yes, that's the reason I use it. It is by far the best tool we have. And if you're going to show up with your big brain and tell me it's imperfect, like that's going to blow my mind, it's not. I understand it's imperfect, but it is 60 billion miles ahead of any other tool we have, including... Twitter draft scout GM 4729's opinion of his favorite team's quarterback as compared to everybody else that he did not watch. So again, I'm all for it. I would, I would actually like to have a conversation about PFF with somebody that has a deep understanding of what they do to understand a little... I, I would like to know myself what it is that they excel at and what it is that they, that they don't. I mean, I, I do that on a regular basis in general, like even things like EPA per play or per pass or whatever. It's a good metric, but there's no perfect metrics. Everything is, and the more you dig into it, you understand, like, what it's actually telling you. There is no, like, official, 
this is exactly how good, like one-to-one correlation between how good you are in this metric and how good you are as a player. There is no thing like that. There's just metrics that are really good at it. And, and again, all these things are trackable. Like I said, I can prove to you that PFF is good at what they do. Because there is a correlation, even if you don't think it's perfect, which the problem is you'd have to find a perfect me- uh, metric to measure it against. But it's very simple to do. And I've told you this a thousand times. If you want to find out how good a metric is, you sort by that metric. And then you look at the quarterbacks or, or whatever you want to look at, wide receivers, running backs. And you just see if, if this is a reflection of what's good and what's not. And, and granted, it's somewhat circular because it's like, well, how do you know? Uh. But let's just pretend we have a a shred of common sense here. Now, if you looked at passing attempts, would there be a correlation between the people at the top being good and the people in the bottom being bad? The answer is yes. But there's not a high level of correlation. You're going to have bad quarterbacks at the top and, and somewhat good quarterbacks at the bottom. But generally speaking, the answer is yes, because first of all, good quarterbacks play. Right at the bottom, you've got like backups that came in. Like at the very bottom, you have Jarrett Stidham, Brett Ripien, Bailey Zappi. These are backups that came in and backfilled and, and generally are not very good. And at the top, you have quarterbacks. And not only quarterbacks, you have quarterbacks that were asked to throw a lot. And if you're asked to throw a lot, it's, it's probably true, more, more so than not true, that they want you to throw a lot. Right? Justin Fields was not very good, so they dialed it back and they ran more. They did not throw a lot. Also, if you're good at it, you probably get more opportunities. Right? If you go three and out, you don't throw anymore after that until the defense gets a stop. If you drive all the way down the field, there's more attempts in that. So there is going to be some level of correlation, but not a high level of correlation. If you look at completions, there's even probably, I would guess, I don't know, an even higher because everything I said about attempts is true, but now we add in sort of that completion percentage. So if you missed more passes, you're going to get dropped more. Everybody drops because nobody has 100% completion percentage. If you look at yards, yes, there's a correlation, but not a perfect one. Yards per attempt, touchdowns, interceptions, all that. It's the same with PFF grades. To pretend that it has no value is stupid because even garbage metrics are going to have some level of value to them. The question is how much value? And I've done this already. I've gone on Twitter and I've, I've, I've done different metrics and I said, you know, rank which one of these things is, is better. And of course, nobody likes it because they come up with their own metrics, probably based on fantasy football. If I had to guess, I mean, honestly, I mean, that's, that's where you see like these exact rankings. People that are very sure of exact rankings, it's because they've been studying the fantasy football rankings for months now. But they have the top five passers as Joe Burrow, Pat Mahomes, Josh Allen, Jalen Hurts, Tua Tungavailoa. Again, a lot of people would be upset by that. What about Herbert? What about, what about, what about? You can be upset if you want, but that's where the nuance comes in. But the bottom line is there is, there is going to be a, a high level of correlation between how good a player is and how bad it, they are, especially at passing, if you sort by passing rate. In the, I, I would trust this metric over pretty much any general passing metric. Now, if you want to get into DVOA, DYAR, EPA, WAR, then I don't really know. That would be kind of interesting. I don't know, again, how you would determine a baseline because you'd have to know the exact correlation. If we had that, then we wouldn't need these. So I don't, I don't, I don't know the best method of doing that. But the bottom line is these are these are very good and useful tools. And the fact that I have this tool and can easily pull up not just the grades, which I think are great on their own, but the specific data sets. And if you don't like those, again, you got EPA, you got WAR if you can find it. SIS has it if you pay for it. But but SIS also has their their own metrics. It's um even aside from like WAR and stuff, they've got some that you can see for free, like total points earned or pass points earned if you want to find out how good they were as a passer. Now that's cumulative. But, you know, there's, there's things like that. There's on-target percentage. So 
Again, I, I think that there are probably some really good data people that would have some really interesting discussions and conversations about this that could actually do a data study to try to determine the best ways to, to evaluate things. I would love to hear that discussion, to read about it if need be. Wherever it is they want to have that discussion, I'll be there. In fact, Mr. Numberman, if that discussion has been had and you can find it for me, please bring it up. But do not just sit here and say, ha ha, PFF is a joke and everybody knows it. Don't do that, because that's dumb, and that's a dishonest and disingenuous conversation to have. And if you're going to interject yourself into my comments in particular, please at least make sure you have something substantive to say. Because the only thing worse than being lectured by a random person that I don't know on a completely non-controversial tweet, I mean, if I said something controversial and people got mad, fine. If I'm just saying like, hey, here's how, here's what PFF, not even me, I didn't say it, here's what PFF had to say for those interested in what PFF had to say. To get lectured about that, and then to, to, to do it in a way that is so just dumb. Like, there's no substance here. It's like, it's like I posted about uh, Aaron Rodgers and the fact that he was going to be in the preseason. And I said, holy crap. Because that is a big deal. It really is. Like, he hasn't played in the preseason in forever. We haven't gotten to watch him. And, and of course, people are going to take it positively or negatively. But you got a guy in there saying, who gives a crap? First of all, the irony of that is hilarious. You commented, who gives a crap? Think about it, Chief. But why are you here? What are you doing here? Other than pretending you don't care, which obviously you do because you couldn't even scroll past it without clicking and commenting. I just, social media is so stupid. And again, there are times when I probably am, am interjecting myself when I shouldn't. But at the very least, when I do that, it's probably going to be on a Bears fans thing. And I'm going to bring massive quantities of data to support whatever it is I have to say. That's the only reason I'm going to do that. I don't see any reason to interject myself with a comment that essentially says, who gives a crap? Because I'm not, you know, in third grade anymore. That was a long time ago. Some of us have slightly matured beyond that. Maybe not a ton, but at least enough to move on from that stage of life. It, ju it just seems like there's two conversations that happen in this space. There are, like, in-depth, knowledgeable conversations that are had by, by people that want that and strive for that. And they're in all corners, right? Different teams, NFL as a whole, there's the film people, there's the data people, there's all kinds of people who really just want to know and understand and learn and, and at least have some level of humility to say, I don't know, and so I'd like to learn more and, and understand more, et cetera, et cetera. Then there's just sort of this, I mean, like, what, what even is it? It's, it's idiocracy. Have you seen that movie? I mean, it's, it's just people making caveman noises. And we all have to occupy the same space. And, and I don't know, maybe there should be a divide. Is there a place where the people that actually want to know stuff and are willing to have conversations about, you know, it could be film versus data. It could be about film. It could be about data. It could be about, you know, just understanding things and football and how to understand it better. Can we just have a space to go hang out? Maybe we could have like a little tag next to our, our social media accounts just to kind of identify ourselves as like which side of that conversation we're on. So at least if somebody wants to comment on my stuff, there's a little tag there that says, I don't know what the heck I'm talking about. I just like to flail my arms around and scream and grunt. And then I'm like, oh, okay, well, well, you just have knock yourself out there, chief. And again, this is not just PFF defense. I would love to know the, the blind spots for PFF, for football outsiders, for all these things. I would love to know that. Because if I understand it better, I'm not going to throw it out because that's, that's stupid. That's what people want you to do is just throw it away because they I don't know. I don't know. Whatever. I'm not going to do that. 
It's just understanding the data better so you can better use it. And if you can better use it, you better understand the NFL, you better understand the Packers. You better understand data in general. So please, by all means, tell me the, the blind spots of PFF. Not examples of things you think they got wrong without actually backing that up. I mean specifically based on their process. By all means, send it to me. Anyways, I haven't been able to rant in a while. I got a little pent up there, but I think we're good now. You all have a great rest of your day. I will talk to you tonight or tomorrow or whatever it happens to be. Have a good one. Bye-bye.